You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show. And today I sit down with Anthony Waite. Anthony is an RN at the U.S. Navy. He's also the owner and founder at the Legacy Factory, which we get into a little bit in this call, uh, what that is and and what he's doing with it. But um, I wanted to give you a quick little background before we dive into the interview. But uh, Anthony was somebody that was referred to me because uh, this friend of mine said, you've got to talk to him. you got to hear his story. And I'm certainly glad I did. It's a very, very inspirational call. Anthony is a very uplifting human being. Um, the stuff that he's been through, the challenges that he's overcome, and how he's turned all of that into gold and how he's given that, paying it forward, and how he's helping in the world is awesome. Um, but what's also very cool is uh, it, it's really a discovery of purpose story and how he balanced the intention of seeking out, you know, how, what he's going to do with his life, but at the same time also willing to listen and be led to where the need is. And if you're somebody that's seeking out your purpose, um, this is a really, really good example to hear somebody else and how they went through it and how they found their purpose and their voice. So, um, I'm going to leave it at that. Keep it short and sweet. Uh, let's dive into the call. Here I am with Anthony Waite. All right, Anthony Waite. How are you doing, brother? Good, man. How are you, Pete? How's I'm it going? Doing, I'm doing well. I am uh, excited to talk to you today. Um, I, I was referred to you as someone who has a really great story. And of course, we briefly chatted about it a little bit. But one of the nice things about doing the podcast is hearing it. Uh, for the first time really on the actual podcast. So I'm excited to, to dive in a little bit and get a little bit more about your background and, and what you're up to. Um, so why don't you tell the listeners, including myself, just a brief background about who you are, where you're from and uh, how you got to where you're at right now. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me, man. It's, it's an honor to be here to sit down with you and kind of share my story and hope that it can resonate with at least one person out there. Right. I'm sure it will at least. Yeah. At least. And so, yeah, so originally from Houston, Texas, grew up in a small little town called Baycliff. And, um, you know, it was one of those towns, like if you were from that area, you were one of those kids, right? So it wasn't. What, is that a good, was that a good thing or? A, it, not, not in a so good way, right? It had, a, it had okay. its reputation in a bad way. Just, I got it. You know, so a little rough around the edges and, um, but that's what I was given. But, you know, as a kid, I say I'm from there, but in reality, we really bounced around from project to project, kind of section eight to section eight, kind of when the rent was due, it's time to get out of Dodge and go to the next place, you know? Wow. And so I really, I really grew up just in different areas, different environments, never really had that stability, you know? And so mm -hmm. I call that home because that's what I kind of, it's where I kind of gained my footing and kind of, I was in those formidable years of who am I and who am I becoming? Right. And so uh, originally from Houston, Texas, um, currently now I've been you know, I'm in the military, joined, traveled around the world, probably been to about 10 different countries. And uh, now I live in uh, Charleston, South Carolina with my wife and my two boys. Oh, that's great. Um, and you're in the Navy, correct? Correct. Okay. What's your position there? So I am a, a educator. I, I, I teach our doctors, nurses, and corpsmen, which is our medics, um, sustainable skills for when they deploy and get deployable ready, um, a nurse by trade. And uh, I have my MBA in leadership as well. Wow, dude, that's quite a uh, quite a, quite a journey that you've been on from Section Eight to to that. That's that's yeah. awesome. It's very inspirational. Um, so let, let's go back a little bit, back to when you were younger, and that, give me a, a, a paint a little bit more of a picture. So, how many 
like siblings did you have mom and dad were they at home what was going on and what kind of trouble did you get into <laughs> <laughs> well we'll keep we'll, we'll give you the short side because i could talk all day but you know um my, my childhood was one that you know unfortunately is probably all too um relevant to a lot of people out there today and in, in the sense that uh you know i have uh two sisters and a younger brother i'm the oldest of four and uh you know growing up was really tough because my dad left when i was two you know he uh he kind of chose his addictions over his, over his family. And he still, he still struggles with that today. Um, and my mom was really that, that, you know, single mom on welfare trying to provide for her family, for her kids. And it was about four or five years of age. She ended up giving us away, uh, me and my young, my sister, um, who's two years younger than me to another family. And I wow. think it was really that breaking point for her where she just couldn't handle the stress between, um, you know, taking care of kids, working full time and trying to find her affection out in, you know, where was other men or whatever, you know, so she gave us away around the age of four or five. It was kind of hard to remember, you know, those. Dude, that's got wrenching for both yeah. of you. So you were about four or five years old? Yeah. Oh, that's a brutal time to be pulled away. How, how did you, how did you deal with that? How did like, yeah, you know, um, you know, so we we're given away to a predominantly white family and I'm, I'm, you know, Spanish and um, half Hispanic and uh, got some Lebanese descent in me. I mean, everybody looks at me like, you know, you're the Caucasian guy, but uh, you know, our, my skin's a little darker, but nothing too crazy, but we were giving away to a predominantly white family and they were very abusive emotionally and physically. We were different because we weren't theirs, you know? And so basically we were the outcast. If, if there was food to eat, guess what? You got to eat. If there wasn't enough to go around, you didn't get to eat. And, Damn. uh, you know, and so, and you were with, uh, your other three siblings as well. So you, yes. And so I was with uh, my other three siblings, my sister, who was two years younger than me, we have the same father. My mom remarried to the younger siblings father and they, they and had those, the younger two mm. and the family we were given to the younger two kind of belonged to. So they were, it was their family basically. How my does, sister. How, how does a family that's physically and emotionally abusive get even the possibility of adopting other kids. Was it, was it like a legal adoption or was it just? No. Yeah. It was like an under the table deal. Okay. <laughs> well, that you know, let's back that up again, you know, and, 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 you know, I share my story to help hopefully inspire and help motivate some other people. But at that time, you know, and I, I'm on terms with my mom now, I, I talk to her every day and I've forgiven her and I've forgiven my father too. And we'll get into that. But yeah. I remember the day that she gave us away. My mom had a mental breakdown. She was uh, manic depressive. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's a buzzword we hear a lot today, right? I'm depressed, right? I just spoke to about 200 kids. And uh, the little kids said, I've been dealing with depression for a year. I was like, you're 11 years old. What do you mean? Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, but um, but my mom was was depressed, uh, manic depressive. You know, my dad was very abusive to her. He, he used, I remember seeing him throw her through a coffee table at one point, put cigarettes on her, on her forehead, like very just emotionally charged man who was struggling with his own battles, but he took it out on those around him. And mm. so my mom would, uh, was dealing with her own abuse, you know, physical abuse from these men that she would include in my father, who she was with. And I think that was her breaking point. And she, I remember seeing her, she, I went to see her in a, a rehab facility. She overdosed on her pill, on her um, depression medications and tried to kill herself. And mm. I remember going to the hospital around, you know, five or six, and we couldn't see her because she was, you know, she was on the other side of the window, right? And we can only see her through the glass because she was in this, this home. And that was, that was the point where I realized like, man, I'm not going to like, <laughs> we're, we're going somewhere else. Like we're not going to be here with mom anymore. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that was the, that was the start 
of my childhood and kind of me forming those who am I <laughs> years, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's really where that, that came from. And that's the, the, the moment that I realized that my life was going to change, you know, forever. That's a pretty early age to have that discovery. Right. Um, right. So, all right. So walk us through a little bit. The, the next few years apparently obviously was not great. Um, what was sort of the next watershed? Yeah. You know, so we, we, we lived in, the, uh, in this house. It was definitely, you know, small. It was like, you know, three bedrooms and like seven people living there. And, you know, we, 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 we grew up together, you know, and, I, and it was really uh, one of those things where you go to school, you do your work, you know, we had to go to the dollar store to buy our school clothes and get our shoes. And, and so you could imagine what that did for us as children. You're going to school with these people who are, you know, wearing the new, the new stuff, kind of what kids deal with today, right? I go to school, I'm wearing shoes that are two sizes too big for me, not because I want to, because those are the only ones that are on the clearance track that I can afford. Mm, yeah. Right. I'm, a, I'm an eight year old kid wearing size 10 shoes. You could imagine yeah. what that looked like, but yeah. we were labeled as such, right? I, I, t- I joke with people now because, you know, in the, in the military, they give us our social security number. I knew that since I was five years old because that's what I used to get my meals. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. I was that kid with the pink ticket that got the, got the, uh, the uh, government special, you know, at lunch while these other kids had their brown bag and their, you know, mom made them a sandwich, put a little love letter in there saying, have a great day, you know, stuff that I do with my sons now, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, but I got the little plastic tray and got the same old, same old every single day, right? Leftovers from whoever. Uh, did you, did you feel like you developed a chip on your shoulder for that? Did you resent some of the other kids or, or how did you respond to that? Yeah. You know, looking back, um, I, I, I did look at it. You know, I, I could say that I probably, I can remember being the victim, you know, playing the victim role for, for a few years because I was like, why me? Why, why is this happening to me? I get jumped outside of school for my backpack. My bike gets stolen because, you know, that's just the way it was where we were. And so I lived, I grew up in the scarcity mindset where I had to fight every single day or live in this fear of like, what's going to happen today, right? Mm-hmm. Am I going to get beat up for my backpack? Am I going to get beat up for my shoes? And, and, and so you live with that that fear of looking over your shoulder all the time. You never really could just take a deep breath and say, ah, it's okay. Mm. And so that's what, that's what most of my youth and my teenage years were, you know? That's heavy. That's heavy. That's yeah. a lot for a kid. So, um, you know, you mentioned that 11 year old that you saw and he or she's already been one year depressed. I mean, I can, I can appreciate if that's what somebody's dealing with that. Hell yeah. That'd be depressing. Um, and unfortunately it probably is too common in this day and age. Um, man. All right. So, so, so what next? So you're a teenager. Yeah. You're still, so you're still with this family or. Yeah. No. So when I got into about uh, seventh grade, right. So I'm about early teens, sixth, seventh grade. So I'm about, 12, 13 at the time, you know, my mom remarries to her husband. Now they're still married, um, you know, and, and he, he, he has his own uh, problems, you know, he's dealing with alcohol and, you know, that whole deal. He, him and his, uh, he has a family with another spouse. So you can imagine the, the, the tension that that brought into the household. But then it goes to that same thing of the last thing I saw as a man was these guys that were coming in and out of my mom's life. And, you know, the abusive relationship she had with my father and the man that she was with after that, here comes this new guy into the picture and he probably meant well, but he just wasn't, you know, the role model or the, the father figure that, that I, that I, that I thought that I should have. Right. You know, mm-hmm. just like any other broken home, you're not my father. And so we had this tension between each other, you know, and, um, 
and so the same things spiraled out, you know, the, the tension in the household and, and, you know, that's when I really, Oops. I started really, um, I lost you there for deal. a second. So, you, you, you cut out for a second. You're back. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> and so that's when I started really, um, get into trouble, hanging out with the wrong crowd. I was influenced by the wrong people. You know, a lot of my friends today are either on drugs, addicted to drugs, dead or in prison or in jail, you know, mm. and I was running with them. I was trying to find where I fit in because I didn't know who I was. Right. I didn't know who I was supposed to be. And so I just hung out with anybody that would, you know, accept me as who, the broken person that I was, a broken kid. Yeah, it's that te those teenage years, especially for a young male. I, th I mean, obviously for girls too, but I can obviously speak to the male experience. How, how, um, how much we really seek that belonging um, as we pull away from our, like psychologically, we're starting to pull away from our families. We're starting to in individuate and and be, and ask that question, like, who the heck am I, right? Um, so if there's a brokenness there and there's a, a group of people that could take you in, I can see how that would be, um, that, that's pulled so many people into a life of crime uh, simply because there's a, a unit there, there's, there's belonging, there's significance. Um, and it sounds like that's, that's what happened in this case too. I've, I've had a couple other podcast calls where that's exact, you know, guys have gotten into legal issues and criminal issues because of that. So um, like what kind of stuff, what, what's going on in your head at this point in your life? You're, you know, you're talking about why me, um, what are some of the other battles that you're dealing with to help listener understand sort of the pain that you were going through? Yeah. And it goes back to that sense of belonging, right? When you're, when your dad leaves, your mom gives you away, it kind of scars you, I think. And looking back on it from where I'm at today, looking back on where I was, it was just me crying out as a teen or a young kid saying, you know, I need to find, find somebody that would accept me for who I am. Cause if something's gotta be wrong with me, because if my dad doesn't want me, my mother doesn't want me who like, what's wrong with it's me. It has to be something with me. Right. And so that lashed out in fighting, you know, anger and frustration. I was an angry kid. I would fight all the time. You know, anybody, I had a younger sister. So every time you could imagine when some, a guy or a, a boy says something to her wrong, you know, I was out there fighting. I'd get down in the middle of the street and fight, you know, mm. and without even asking, without even hesitation of thinking my safety or the, the well-being of anybody, I would just lash out. And that anger wasn't coming from me being mad at the person. It was being frustrated with my life and how everything was unfolded. That, that why me mentality, that victim mentality, you know? So, uh, okay. I, I have like a lot of questions on that, but I think you're going to answer them in a little bit. So I don't want to uh, get, put the cart in front of the horse. Um, so, all right. So is that, those sort of your teen years, uh, yeah. understandably. And then what happened next? Yeah. So, you know, um, my graduation came. So that was, you know, I was 16, 17 at the time. And we were having a, a get together at the house, you know, celebrating a good time. I graduated high school. I made it <laughs> through high school. And my stepdad, if you'll call him that, you know, he, he punched me in my face, right in the face. You know, we're, everybody was drinking, having drinks and everything. And, um, you know, he, he got upset about something. I can't recall what it was, but I remember looking at him in front of all my friends. He just punched me right in the face. Just Damn. hit me in the face. I was like, wow. And that was right then and there. I was like, I got, I have to do something, right? Like I have to figure something out. And so I left home and I was homeless for about a year and a half. Um, so just for a second. So he just reeled back and clocked you in the fit. Like, was it an yeah. aggressive thing? Was it like a sort of a playful thing that was too aggressive? No, no. <laughs> he just, <laughs> it was aggressive. Yeah. Damn. You know, I don't, I don't remember what was being said. There were some, some, some words exchanged and whatnot. And I just remember, 
turning around. And it was almost like a sucker punch. Like, you know, you just, you look back and as, as I turned around, I was like, wham, I just seen a flash. And I was like, wow. And I went down to one knee and I looked up and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, wow. <laughs> you know, wow. but that, but that to say that that was uncommon would be a lie. You know, that, that, you know, him and my mom had a history of drinking and arguing and fighting and throwing things. And so it wasn't an uncommon thing in my household. You but know? with, with all your friends and everybody else there, I mean, yeah, it didn't, it didn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter the situation. And so, yeah. <sighs> okay. So then, uh, you left, what, where did you go? Yeah. So I, I had a friend that I, I was pretty close to at that time. And, um, you know, he, we, we went through high school together and, um, he allowed me to kind of sleep on his couch, um, while I figured things out, which, <laughs> you know, I didn't know even where to start. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a long sleep on a couch. Yeah. You know, out. and it was, and it was really just to have a, have a place to like rest my head. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't stability. It was really just kind of running from what was the truth, yeah. right. The, 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 my circumstances. Right. For sure. So, uh, so then what happened next? Yeah. So about a year and a half later, you know, working, um, you know, for minimum wage and working dead end jobs. And I was at a lumber yard, you know, putting wood on people's cars and cut loaded concrete bags, kind of really hard labor, you know, in Texas, you can imagine it was like 110 degrees. I'm out there, you know, sweating my butt off, you know, thinking about, man, like, but it gave me a couple, couple bucks in the pocket. And I thought that was it, you know? And I remember, you know, we all went out one night and, you know, we were out drinking and having a good time and we came home and, I remember waking up off the couch and I looked up and I was just like, you know, there's gotta be something better there. There's, I can't keep going like this. I looked at where my dad was, I, you know, where my mom and my family, where everybody, you know, everything around me, I looked at my environment. I said, I, I, I have to change. Like something has to happen. And so a couple of years ago, a couple of years before that I was in high school, you know, and the recruiters, the Navy recruiter came uh, to the school, you know, they were giving their whole spill. And I remember sitting in the back of the class, just making fun and laughing like all oh, these guys, you know, yeah, these recruiters are here trying to get people to join. Well, I was at the lowest of my low. I was at probably below the poverty line and probably below most people's baseline. And I got up, I went to the recruiter's office, got my buddy's car, went to the recruiter's office. And I, I remember saying, like, I, I want to join, I'm here, take me, I want to join the military. And they're like, wait, 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 we know who you, we remember you, you were that clown in the class, you know, that was just acting out, you know, being an idiot. I said, I know, but I, I want to go. I want, I want to go to the military. I got, I got to leave this place. And I would sign on the dotted line. I wouldn't tell anybody. Uh, they said, you got six months before you ship off to boot camp. And I said, okay, cool. Signed on the dotted line. I didn't tell anybody. I sat around and wait. He called me. That was Monday. He called me on Wednesday. He said, hey, we have a spot opened up. You leave Friday. I mm. ran up to the, to the recruiter's office. I signed on the dotted line, came home, and I said, oh, crap, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what did I do? And that's when the kind of the fear set in and, you know, we all go through this, right? When you're trying something new, you go into the unknown, there's that fear. Even if your, your circumstances are complete miserable, you know, misery, that fear of the unknown is going to get you and it's going to be scary. And yeah. I went and I told my family, like, I'm leaving Friday. I'm going, I'm going to the military. Wow. Was, How did they take it? They were freaking out, you know, cause everybody, nobody knew. In my family, nobody's been in the military except my grandfather, but I wouldn't find that out till later. But everybody thinks military, oh, you're going to war. You're going to war. You're going to die. Because as in 2004, we had a big, you know, push mm-hmm. into Afghanistan, Iraq, and um, um, and so that was their thing. You're going, to, you're going to go get killed. You know, you're going to war. And I said, you know what? I'm either going to die out there. I'm going to die here. <laughs> you know, like there ain't much going on here either. And 
I would leave and go to boot camp uh, two days later, leave everything that I, I known. <laughs> That's crazy. There's um, there's a lot of people that would say that the military sort of preys on you know people who are struggling, uh, people in poverty. People. How would you respond to that? Did you felt taken advantage of? Did you feel? Yeah, you know, I would say I felt taken advantage of for all my life until that point, <laughs> to be honest with you, you know. Up until that point. Right, you, right. But I mean, did you feel like they were, did you feel like the military was taking advantage of, of you in that situation? No, you know, I, again, I, I looked at it, my back was against the wall, you know, and I think anybody listening to this can relate to it. You've probably been in a place in your time where this is it. Like, I got to make a choice. If I don't, you know, it's, the outcome's not going to be good. And everybody says, well, it's the hand you were dealt. Yeah but I wasn't going to settle for just getting dealt a crappy hand. Hell yeah. I'm going to play the hand that I was dealt, you know? Yeah. Love that. So, um, all right. So you go into the, <laughs> you go literally within a few hours into the Navy. Um, walk us through that whole thing. When, when was, I mean, I'm assuming on some level that was a pretty big transition point for you, like emotionally, mentally, like, Oh, I'm getting out of here. I mean, when did reality set in when you were in the Navy? Like, Oh, wow. I, uh, this is a whole, this is not what I thought it was. At least that's what I hear from other guys who yeah. go to boot camp or whatever. Yeah, you know, when I got to boot camp, oddly enough, I got to boot camp and, you know, we had an RDC there. And that was my first real taste of uh, a leader, a leadership, I guess you would say. And really my first taste of somebody who believed in me, right? RDC, he got a group of, a group of men. Uh, I was one of probably four. And they give you these positions of authority. Like, okay, you're going to be the squad leader. You're going to be this person. And I remember him saying like, you know, these are my motivators. These are my alpha males is what he called this. And he says, you're going to be the ones that are going to help the group because everybody's coming from all walks of life. It's diverse, right? It's um, everybody from all over the, the country coming to this place to try to conform and be in this one box. And he relied on us heavy to lead that group. And I remember that sense of pride. If somebody believes in me and they gave me that torch to say, you know what, you got it in you, you can do this. And it pulled something out of me. That until even till this day, I mentor thousands of people around the world in the military because of that one person who set the tone for me. That was the, the shift in my mindset between you're not a victim, you're a victor of your circumstances. And I was held to a standard, right? It was higher than what I thought about myself. And I've held that standard until this day. And it's been a lot of reason for my success today. That's powerful, man. What do you think it was that he saw in you? I think he saw a kid that, you know, I'd say a kid, I was a teenager, but I was still a kid. I wasn't a man. I think he saw something in me. I think he saw a kid that was, that uh, had a desire inside to do something better than what he was you know, given. You know, they don't know our whole background, but they can tell when somebody's got a fire inside of them, they can look in your eyes and tell that there's something in you that is potential. There's waiting to get out. And I think just saying the right words can make that come alive. And I mean, just watch out, you know what it does because that person's going to be on fire. Hell yeah. What was, um, what you mentioned, uh, that you weren't a man yet. Do you have a, was there something in your experience in your mind where you felt like what masculinity is, what, what being a man is and what would that, what was that transition point? Do you, is there something that comes to mind when I ask? Yeah. You know, now I can answer that, you know, a hundred percent, but at that time, you know, I was still finding out. I, I had the ability, the ability to look and see, because a lot of the things I learned up until that point was what not to do with my life, right? What not to do as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a leader. And I use that to construct who I am today because anytime that I'm making decisions, I look it back at, okay, does this align with who I want to be, right? My vision. And so I think that at that point, it was 
being able to be open and coachable and receptive to those around me that have what I wanted, right? That have that position, who have that lifestyle, who have that ability to lead. Are they, do, are they where I want to be? And am I going to listen, right? So it made mm-hmm. me humble and made me listen so that one day I could achieve that, you know? Mm-hmm. What, is it, what is it to be a man to you today? How would you answer it today? Yeah, to be, to be a man today means that you take initiative, right? You go first, right? You, you're the leader. You step forward first. You go mm-hmm. and you inspire those around you to be the best that they can be. And you lead by example. You talked about a second ago about alignment with vision and how I think in young men's journeys, we often will look to elder men, we'll look to, to other men to say, that's what I want to be like, just like you did, right? That's, that's my vision. That's my example. That's my model. And in a culture right now, I don't know if you would agree with this, but it, it, there's, it seems like model men, uh, and I don't mean you know GQ model, I mean uh, guys that are living with uh, characteristics that one wants to aspire to emulate, um, is few and far between. Um, that example, that, the, that vision is just not around a lot of young boys growing up today. It seems like, um, would you agree with that? Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. What's, what's, what would you say is the biggest problem that a lot of, uh, young people deal with today? Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of the youth today, they're being influenced by people who aren't being what I call the true essence of a leader. They're not, they're getting around people who are put on this facade of this is my life and I'm good. They're not, they're not sharing their stories. They're not sharing their failure. They're not sharing their brokenness and how they got a breakthrough from it. Right. Mm -hmm. These kids today want to know that it's okay to fail, that it's okay to feel that way, that it's okay to struggle, but who you become from that is what matters. It's not what you go through. It's how you come out of that. And Mm -hmm. We can sit here and I can tell you about all the money that I have and the properties and all these cars and blah, blah, blah. That doesn't, that's, that's all superficial, right? I connect with people more when I share my brokenness and what I had to go through to get to where I am. The, the, the process, not the end product. Mm-hmm. I think the kids today are being trapped in this comparison factor of, well, he's doing all that. So he must be better than me. Mm-hmm. And not enough men are stepping out and saying, look, here's the truth. Here's the, here's how you do this. And this is what failure looks like, but this is what comes up failure. Mm-hmm. And I think only until we have more men that step up and say, Hey, I was broken too. I dealt with, I've been where you've been. You meet them where they're at and you mm-hmm. raise them to that level of where they want to be. You don't just tell them, Hey, I'm up here, get on my level. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I think that's all too true of today. You know, that, that these mm-hmm. kids are seeing this false, this false sense of what success is. What, what would you say was your, um, you mentioned earlier that your lowest of the low, what was your, what was your brokenness? What was your biggest failure? Share that story. You talk about sharing that story. Have you shared it already or, or what was your, your biggest brokenness? Yeah. You know, I think, um, my biggest brokenness definitely was, was my youth and being able to, um, you know, overcome being, being, uh, kind of a, a victim of, the system, I guess you would say. And I think it, it would later come into my life, you know, as, as in my early twenties, you know, it would come into my relationships. It would, you know, I, I'm married now with two, two kids, but I was previously married and, you know, I, I would uh, end up having a divorce. My, my ex-wife had an affair on me. And I think that that was really a self 
it was an internal dive in who I was and what my part was in provoking that, you know, not that I was out there being it was infidelity. It was me being focused on trying to be, you know, going to school, trying to get caught up in my career, trying to chase this pipe dream of, you know, being good enough. And in return, I wasn't home doing the things that I should have done being there emotionally, you know? Dude, that's, that's a huge, um, that takes a lot of humility and a lot of strength and, uh, to, to go to that place of she cheated on me. What did I do to contribute to that environment? I mean, that's, that to me is like a a sign of huge maturity that, uh, I, you know, I think I'm in a, a few men's groups and there's always relationship stuff going down and, it's often, you know, my, my girlfriend cheated on me or my wife, you know, wants to leave or this, that, or whatever. And very rarely do you hear men say, what did I do to contribute to that situation? Um, where did that come from for you? Yeah. You know, after all that happened, um, I, um, uh, I went on a, I went on a trip to Haiti for six months and I, um, I lived in a village, no water, no electricity, no nothing. And I really got to see what brokenness looked like. And it took me back, I think, to my youth because I seen these kids struggling. They didn't have their fathers. Their families were killed in the earthquakes. You know, this is right after the earthquakes in Haiti that demolished the place. And they were really struggling. And I went out there to help with some medical support. And um, I just, you know, I really connected with my spiritual side, like who I am inside. Not this superficial, this external, you know, physical but the internal, you know, and it really connected me on a deeper level with like, man, you really don't know how good you have it. And you really don't know um, who else do, have it, has it worse than you do. And I went there and I remember I got, you know, um, got to be with the kids and play, play with them and, and hold them, you know, and, and, and just be present, not presence, like giving gifts, but just being there, holding them and being there and, 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 and playing soccer and all that stuff. Anyway, so I was there for a few months. I got back. And I remember landing in uh, in uh, New York, and as soon as I got back, everybody's, you know, the news is talking about people getting shot in the churches, people are fighting over their luggage, just total chaos. And I was like, dude, take me back to this place where it was just such a peaceful place in the sense that everybody was content with what they had. It wasn't much, but they were okay. Hmm. And so when I got home, I remember sitting on my couch, and I picked up the phone. And this is the first sign, this, this is the first part of forgiveness that I had to go through in my life. And this was really a, a turning point for me was I called my sister and I said, Hey, what's dad's number? She said, well, what do you want that for? Uh-huh. And I said, well, I want to call him because I want to forgive him. And she said, wow. Okay. Well, here's his number. I haven't talked to him in, you know, eight to 10 years from, uh, from that point. You know, last time I talked to him, I said, you're such a piece of crap. You know, uh-huh. I hate you. I, I hope you're wishing bad things, you know, just all this stuff. And for some reason on my heart, it just said, you know, you need to call your father and forgive him. And so I called him and he didn't even know who I was. <laughs> I'm a junior, Anthony Waite Jr. And he didn't uh-huh. know who I was. He said, who is this? I said, it's your son. And he said, um, he literally okay. didn't know. And I'm his only son. Yeah. He didn't know who I was. And, uh, I said, dad, you know, I, I just want to tell you that I forgive you. I forgive you for the way that you are and for what I've done for you, done to you to cause you to resent me as your son. And he said, okay, well, I got to go. And he hung up the phone. <laughs> And I put the phone down and I, I weep like a little kid. I think, I think about that because it's like, you know, I wonder how many times I did that as a little boy looking for my father, you know, and how many kids today are doing that, right? They're weeping inside because their dad's not there. They don't have yeah. that guide. And so after Actually, I did it, that. It's not just kids, it's, it's grown men, you know, right? and, and women right. too, you know, I know they're feeling it as well. 
yeah. And so that forgiveness, you know, took a lot of weight off my shoulder. I felt so emotionally just relieved of the pressure because anytime after, before that, anytime somebody brought up my dad or, you know, Hey, you look like your father, I'd get this feeling of anger. Like, Oh, don't tell me that. Right. Don't call me Tony because that's what he's called. Right. <laughs> I'm Anthony. Like I'm not Tony. I would, and, and we look so much alike. And, 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 and as much as I wanted to hate, to hate him, I was becoming so much like him because mm. of that. Right. And so then I would call my, my ex-wife at that time and just tell her, Hey, it's me, Anthony. And I just want you to know that I forgive you. And I apologize for the way I was that contributed to how we turned out. Wow. And that was powerful, you know, and it wasn't that I wanted to be back with her or that I wanted to mend that marriage. It was that I wanted to forgive in my heart a hundred percent because little did I know that two years later I'd meet my wife now. And then a year later I would have my first son. And I really believe that if I didn't forgive in my heart 100%, regardless of the reaction that I got, but truly forgave, I would not be able to be the man, the husband, the father, the leader for my family now. And I would never, I would be handing my sons down the same brokenness that I was given. I truly believe yes. 100%. <clears throat> yep. I can see that as well. How do you, let, 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 let's zoom in a little bit on that forgiveness process, because I know a lot of people who have dealt with, like yourself, some some extremely heavy, very uh, abusive um, uh, situations walk somebody through how you get to that place where somebody who's done something so malicious and hurtful to you that, that you can actually basically express love back to them and say, I forgive you. How, how do you, how do you get there? Yeah. You know, I think, I think it first starts with taking a good look at yourself, right? Look at, look, take an internal dive on who you are and who you want to be. And it goes back to that vision piece. The person that I was, was not who I had envisioned me being five, 10 years later. I didn't want to be the angry, broken person anymore. I, w I was tired of playing that role. You know, I was tired of being that angry deep down. And if you looked at me on the outside, I was, I was excited. I, I was, you know, I looked good. I felt good. Everybody thought I just had everything put together, but inside I was empty. Yeah. And and what I found is that when you see other people that have hurt you or harmed you or wronged you, you have to understand that chances are they are just giving you what they've been handed in life. They don't know any better. They're ignorant to what they're doing. And so mm -hmm. if you can separate the being from the behavior, you can actually see that person for who they are. Nobody's wait. Nobody is born and says that I want to be a bad person. Nobody wakes up and says, well, I'm just going to be an addict today and I'm going to go treat people like crap. They learned it from somewhere. It's a learned behavior. Mm -hmm. Just like you and me, we, we, the things that we do that we don't want to do, it wasn't just that we wanted, we didn't wake up today and say, I'm just going to be an asshole today. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a learned process. And so I had to look at it as because just because they're this doesn't mean that's who they are as a person. And what I found is whenever you're able to be bold and say, I forgive you, their physiology changes. You believe in them. And that might've been the first person that ever believed in them. And they look at you like, wow. Oh my yeah. goodness. It's well, powerful. Like your dad hanging up on you, like he just probably had no idea how to handle that. Like what? Somebody's actually given me love unconditional. What? Unconditional love is exactly what that is. Dude, that's powerful. Um, and when I did that, I was able to love myself. Right? When you give, you get. Yeah. And it was just amazing because now I have this sense of joy in this who I am, right? And who, how powerful I can be with just the words that I speak. <laughs> Dude, I'm feeling it right now. Like I want to get up and uh, do some pictures or something. <laughs> I'm so, yeah. Okay. So let me break this down for a second because I think this is important. Um, what I heard you say a couple of things is number one, you empathized 
with the person that seeming that, that hurt you and you saw the world through their eyes. You got out of your, I'm going to use air quotes, selfish perspective, thinking about yourself and the hurts that you experience and said, wait, wait, wait a second. Let me look at the world through their eyes. Nobody's mean. He's not meaning to do that in his heart of hearts and his core being. So therefore he's probably just passing along the bullshit that he received Right. So you empathize. Number one, the next thing I heard you say, uh, in the forgiving process, you, uh, part of that empathy was to separate the being from the behavior. Right. Right. Yep. That's, that was huge. Um, and then the other thing that I thought about too, as you were saying that was when you're angry at somebody, you're attached to them. You have an emotional connection and emotional attachment to them as you're going about your life, trying to live your life. Your mind is still has an attachment on that person. And the forgiveness process is really, I made a Facebook post about this not too long ago, where forgiving is for giving. It's giving and break, severing that, that connection between the person that you are having an issue with. Because whether you have that anger inside or whether you're completely, you've found bliss, that person is going to still be the same person the next day when they wake up, right? So uh, that forgiving process is for giving, but it's to give to yourself, to fill yourself up. So like you said, where you, you became the person that you aspired to be, which ultimately attracted, you know, the family, the wife and the, and the environment that you had desperately uh, been seeking. Dude, that's, that's <laughs> amazing. That is it. You know, and so many people today, I see it all the time. They walk around letting other people drag them down. Not not just in the physical realm, but in that, that emotional realm where they're still attached to that BS, right? The belief system, <laughs> if you want to call yeah. it. Um, and until you forgive, you can never sever that tie. And you drag that into your other relationships. It's, it's, mm-hmm. just, it's just the way it is. Yeah, the BS, BS. The bullshit belief system. Um, <laughs> All right. So, so what's your, what's your vision for what you're doing now with the work that you're doing now? Yeah. You know, um, man, so much has happened from, from then till now. And, uh, you know, it's, you, you said hit it on the head. It went from being a life of struggle to a life of service. If I can put it into one sentence, I gave up a life of struggle to live a life of service. And really what it was going from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. And so now, you know, I, I have, I'll ret- I'm going to be retired by 38. You know, uh, my wife stays at home with our kids. But now it allowed me to, you know, get mentors in my life and then get certified as a coach and a, and a, and a, and a speaker and a trainer on leadership and development and help other people that are going through what I did. And it's not that I needed a title or, or, a, or a certification to do what I'm doing because half the stuff I do is just speaking from my heart, what I've learned through the school of hard knocks, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. And so lately what's been crazy is a lot of doors have opened up for me. I'm speaking to over a thousand kids in the next month in seven different schools in an entire county about the same things that I've went through as, as, as struggled with as a kid because the unfortunate thing is these kids are struggling with it too. Yeah. And so it's allowed me to come full circle and give it back to, to those who were like me, that kid sitting in that chair that didn't know why it was happening to him, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I always tell him, I say, you have to have the if factor, the IF, if factor, right? I used to say, only if my parents were still married, would I have these things in my life? Only if I was raised in a good neighborhood, would I not have been in trouble? Only if my mom and dad loved me, would I feel loved? Now it's like, what if, what if I didn't get off that couch 
and go do something with myself? What if I didn't forgive my dad or my ex? What if I never would have got rid of the emotional baggage so that I can be and live in my full potential? What if? Mm. And so everybody has that if factor. You're just asking the wrong if. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Only if to what if. Ah, I love that. I love that. That's it. Uh, all right. Keep going. Just keep talking, dude. <laughs> I'm taking notes as you're talking. This is great. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so I've been very fortunate to, uh, you know, to be, a, I, you know, I don't like using the word, the term coach because it's just been something that's thrown around too much. I say mentor because I mentor a lot of people. I started a program uh, for military personnel um, that helps them go from enlisted to officer, kind of like what I did. I, um, I had a very, fort- a very fortunate opportunity when I was enlisted to apply for a program where the military sends you to school full time, you get your nursing degree, 350 to 400 people apply and like 30 get selected. So it's less than, you know, 10%, very low. I got selected on my first time up, no business being there. You know, I got selected because somebody, my mentor believed in me enough to put me in the program. And now I've been able to mentor other people that are going through the same process. And from that's turned into development and leadership because these guys are going there trying to go to this program, but they lack the belief in their self. They lack the, the, uh, the ability to see their full potential. And so I've been able to do that. Um, and then as of lately, I've been feeling a real calling to build what I call the legacy factory. And really it's people like us who are literally rewriting our legacy who says, you know what? I might've came from here, but my past won't predict my future, right? I'm not a product of the system. I'm beating the system. And I'm going to rewrite my legacy. I'm going to play the hand that I was dealt. But not only that, I know that I can throw it back into the deck and say, hey, dealer, give me some new, give me some new cards. <laughs> right? And for a long time, though, I was afraid to do that because I don't want to share with people my brokenness because everybody sees me as you're the naval officer who has all his degrees and all the titles and you, you lead people from around the world and you've been on these trips around the world to provide medical support. You're, you're doing these big things. But yet I hid behind that because I was so afraid of what people might think, the opinions yeah. of other people. <laughs> That's the cheapest commodity on earth, the opinions yeah. of others. Good God, it is. And uh, it's, Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, one of my mentors told me this. He says, whenever we have these big ideas or these big dreams or these desires to do something better, the first thing we do is we go, hey, what do you think? And he says, here's the deal. 98% of the people on this earth do not think. So why would you ask them? <laughs> what, what do they think? <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> so. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That internal calling, that vision that, that comes to you. I mean, this, these are things that I've wrestled with back and forth too. Like justifying the, the internal call, whatever that is to, that, you know, that is pulling you or pushing you in a, in a direction of, towards a vision and, and how that sits with the world and how that, like, how do you wrestle with that? Because sometimes, I mean, I've certainly done this a handful of times where I'm like, I have an idea, I have an inspiration, <laughs> throw it up against the wall and the world's like, nah, yeah, yeah, you're missing yeah. something. I'm like, ah, oh, crap, go back to the drawing board. What did I miss, you know? Yeah, you said something interesting. You said it's either pushing me or pulling me. And yeah. uh, and here's the deal. What I believe with uh, pushing and pulling this for anybody, especially if you're coming up, you know, uh, around this time of year, if you're getting pushed into a goal, chances are it's not your goal. You're trying to live up to the expectation of other people, what they think you should be. You see, high performers, they get pulled into their goal, into their vision, because it's an internal drive, not an external drive. When we're pushed, it's an external. Like, I think you should do this. Hey, Anthony, I think you, you should go and do that. And you go do it only to get halfway through and say, you know what? This isn't for me. And so I'm pushed into that goal. But when I'm pulled, 
it's an internal desire that comes out when I go in and, and get to mentor these kids or people that I talk to. It's an internal drive that, that it doesn't take external motivation. It's an internal drive that's so much stronger that I don't give a crap what anybody says. I'm going to mm-hmm. give it my 100% because that's my internal pull, not my external push. Right. Dude, that's huge. Big distinction. Huge, yeah. It's very, and it's very clear. Like somebody can just self-reflect really quick. Is this a push or is it a pull? Um, what, are the, what are the building blocks of leadership in your mind? Walk us through what it takes to be a, a, an excellent leader. Yeah. Um, you know, I always tell people that you have to have influence. You're going to influence 10,000 people. Statistics show 10,000 people you will influence in your life, whether you want to or not. Now, whether it's good or bad, that's up to you. At least 10,000, you're trying to influence somebody. A leader is intentionally influencing other people, right? So number one is influence. That's, that's the whole essence of leadership is influence. Uh, number two, I call it chasing congruency, or you can call it integrity, right? You are leading by example in the sense that what you say matches your actions. Because I can sit here and tell you how I lead, but let me show you, right? Let me, let me show you what it means to be physically fit, emotionally fit, right? Um, and so I think a true leader to have influence, you have to lead by example. You have to um, be intentional and your actions have to meet your words. So I call it chasing congruency because I'm always trying to chase congruency between who I am and who I want to be. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. It's that vision factor. Matthew, Matthew McConaughey, you know, the actor talked about, he gave a, uh, a what do you call it? A convocate, convo, what do you call it? The end of the school here? Uh, whatever. The invocation. Yeah. Yeah. He gave one of those uh, speeches to a bunch of kids uh, and he said, that's exactly what he said is um, there's somebody, you know, there's, I have a mentor. I have a, I, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but he's like, I'm always chasing that next version, that, that better oh, wow. version of himself. Yeah. It's kind of a cool story. Um, you mentioned emotional fitness. What is emotional fitness? Yeah. I think emotional fitness is being able to understand that, your thoughts and your beliefs will drive your behavior, whether that's good or bad. And so to catch those thoughts and understand where are they coming from? Mm-hmm. Because what is emotion, right? It's energy in motion. Your thoughts are energy. You think about the books, Think and Grow Rich, As a Man Thinketh. You know, all these books that talk about thinking, there's a science behind that. Your thoughts are energy and emotion is that energy in motion. So what you think about, you become about. And when you're emotionally fit, that means that you're able to control those thoughts and say, okay, where does that stem from? And then also in the moment, is this serving me or is this hurting me? Is this going to propel my life or is it going to derail my life? Right. And to be able to discern that in the moment before you make that reaction, it could potentially propel you into the future or derail you into the ground. Right. Mm-hmm. Is emotionally, emotional fitness. Because for a long time I wasn't emotionally fit. I would act out and lash out in anger from my emotional baggage. So the first thing is to unpack those bags, right? When you get on a plane, hey, I'm sorry, sir, you can only have one bag on board. You can't be bringing all that baggage on there. I think about Southwest, right, or one of those airlines. Right. You know, hey, you can only carry one check-in, man. That's it. Stop bringing all those baggage with you. So unpack those bags so that you can get emotionally fit. <laughs> uh, I have I have this mental image of guys that deal with anger issues and just all the bullshit that they're carrying around. Oh. You know, uh, how, like it. <laughs> Men with my work with men over the last several years, there's certain patterns that show up and there's definitely one with a certain segment of men where anger, you know, there's rage issues and the anger comes out before they have a chance. And they're all, 
it's always after the fact where they go, Oh my God, I, you know, I can't believe I just did that. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting the very people that I'm supposedly serving. What's going on. How do you go from that level of rage and anger? And maybe you just sort of watch us through that with the emotional fitness, but how do you, how do you get to that point where you go from just all that anger inside to the ability to take a deep breath and actually respond instead of react? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot and because in you know, one of my masterminds, we t- we're talking about this whole topic of emotional resilience. And I think for me, and it's going to sound kind of cliche, and I don't want it to come off as like this, you know, guru mumbo jumbo, but I think a lot of men haven't found their purpose and they're struggling with that. Yeah. They're struggling with who they are and who they want to be. And they know that there's a gap in between that, the knowing being gap, right? Or the knowing doing gap. I know what I want. I know who I want to be. I know the type of relationships I want, but I don't know how to get there. And that frustration builds inside of you. And until you let it out, either in productive uh, work or destructive work. And I think a lot of people take the latter destructive work because it's a lot easier only to find that when they look back amongst all the rubble that they just created in their wake, that's not who they wanted to be. Cause I was that same guy. I'm sure you've been there, but you yep. say something that you don't mean and guess who you hurt. Really? You hurt yourself more than you hurt anybody else. Yeah. I mean, you're going to lose your family potentially or your business or your, your, your job. But at the end of the day, you're the one that we're the ones that suffer for it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> How do you, what, what's the difference between emotional fitness and emotional resilience? Yeah. And I think that goes with part of what I, I, I consider being a leader is being abil- your ability to grow daily, right? Leadership doesn't happen in a day. It happens daily. Just like emotional fitness or emotional resilience happens daily, not in a day. You don't just get up one day and read a book and say, okay, I'm emotional resilient today because the book said emotional resilience. It doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. Mm-hmm. It's a continuous process. Just like you and I go to the gym and work out every day. One good meal is not going to make you healthy. Just like one bad meal is not going to make you fat. It's a, it's a compilation of the choices that you make every day over years. And I think the emotional resilience is waking up with intention. Like we talked about being intentional and saying, instead of making a to-do list, make a to be list. Who do I need to be today? Who mm-hmm. needs me on my A game? You set those triggers to prompt your brain to go looking for the good stuff instead of just falling whims to the bad stuff. Because mm-hmm. if, if you don't set your day up as such as, who do I need to be? Who can I impact today? What kind of leader? Who needs me on my A game? Guess what? You go looking for all the, all the bad stuff because that's what you know, right? That's what you're used to. And so you find what's wrong in the world instead of what could be right. Mm-hmm. Is that where purpose comes from? Because I was just going to ask you about how, how does a guy find his purpose? Yeah, you know, I think it's taken a lot of reflection of where have I been? What have I gone through? And who needs to know? And how can I help them? But you can't give what you don't have. Here's the deal. You can't give what you don't have. So if you haven't gotten over your own BS, you're not going to help anybody else get over their own BS. You're going to be a fraud. You're going to have that imposter syndrome, right? And so my biggest thing is I tell people all the time, I said, my biggest fear in life is meeting somebody from a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, hell, next, last week. And they say, hey, Anthony, you ain't changed one bit. You're the same old guy, (laughs) right? Somebody from yesterday says, yeah, you're doing the same old thing. That's the biggest fear I have in my life. And that's why I wake up every day trying to learn, getting around influencers like yourself, people who are going places because it pulls you again into the man that you want to be. You mm-hmm. don't get pushed into something you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of men, until they find that, that purpose, what I would, I, what I would uh, recommend or consider is how are you learning every day? What are you learning and how are you growing? Because only when you grow, will you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, it's in that it's in the it's in the heat of the fire where uh, where the metal gets molded, right? Um, right. Yeah, I mean that metaphor I think is a powerful one, especially when guys are dealing with uh, 
total breakdown. You know, their wife just left or their girlfriend cheated on them or whatever, um, lost the job. Um, like that to me is a huge moment. If you can just pause for a second and go, oh, wait a second, I'm actually really malleable right now. I'm actually open to seeing the way I've been going about things is not giving me the results I want. Maybe I need to change. How can I grow at this point? Like there's huge leverage in that precise moment. Like I get excited when I hear guys going through a breakdown because I'm like, oh, great. Now we can actually do something with this. Where do you want to go? What's the vision? Where are we going? Right. And then also asking yourself, what is the lesson to be learned here? What is the lesson that life is giving me right now? Because you're going to learn. Usually most of the, I learn more from the bad than I do the good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. In fact, like when you almost don't even learn when there's good uh, to me, it's, it's either, it's either growth or celebration. Hmm. If, if, if you're succeeding and you're getting the results that you want, you simply reflect and go, how do I expand this? It's a celebration of what, what, what is working. Whereas, you know, <laughs> when you fall flat on your face, you know, then it's a matter of, ah, Eh, probably needed to learn something here. What, what, what did I miss? Yeah. And I, I think as leaders, right. As, as, as future, you know, people, they're going to be making a difference in this world. You don't actually really ever arrive. You know, you never really arrive. You, people think, well, when I get this degree, I'll be there. When I get this certification, I'll be there. When I, when I reach this place, I'm going to get there. But I'll tell you, I thought that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and I'm still every day, you would think that I'm, <laughs> that I, I'm, uh, you know, uneducated and I don't have a lot going for me because I'm constantly have a learner's mindset. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. Yeah, I'm same. reading books, I'm studying, I'm, I'm learning from others who have been before me. And I think until you adopt that mindset of being a continuous learner and then applying it to your life, well, you really, you never will really will, will grow, grow into that leader that you need to be. Yeah. Um, who is, who is your audience? I know you've been speaking to a lot of kids. Is that really sort of your focus? Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of the, um, the audience that I have, a lot of them are military. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of millennials too. You know, I, I haven't really tailored it down. I know my, my audience is looking for leadership in those soft skills, you know, communication, um, leadership, um, you know, being able to, lead themselves so they can go lead other people knowing what, right. who they are so that they can go out and make a difference. Right. But most of the people that I've been speaking to lately has been this middle school to high school age kids. Dude, that's a huge service in that. Yeah. Um, such a needed uh, voice, um, you know, before they, before they go and destruct, like that's the opportunity to point them in a direction of construction and production and, yeah. Yeah. And these kids are so hungry, you know, after I get done talking, you know, and I share my story with them, they, they the questions they ask are just phenomenal. I mean, they just, they're so hungry for that person that's going to say, Hey, I see where you're at and I'm going to come get you where you're at. And I want to lift you to another level, to the next level. I see the potential. I believe in you. You tell a kid that nowadays is 12 or 13 years old. You can change their life. They 100%. probably haven't heard that. They probably never heard that. Yep. And, and, and even more rare. So they probably haven't heard it from a man. Um, wow. a lot of kids, a lot of kids will, you know, have amazing mothers, you know, women have done, I think women right now are, if I was to just look at our society, like there's a, women have come a long way in the last 50 years. Um, and the women's improvement, um, empowerment, um, there's a lot of really, really strong, capable, emotionally fit, emotionally resilient women. I know a lot of them. And, um, so, and their mothers, their teachers, that they're influencing our children at a very young age, which is phenomenal. However, 
as great as women are, if there's that void of masculinity in their life and that other perspective that's also just as valid, just as valuable, kids are they're off kilter. They're a little bit off balance. They're, they don't have that other structure and uh, vision and purpose and that drive and the energy um, that you're talking about. And so even when kids do get amazing mothering and amazing female influence, there's still that void. So I just think, again, I just commend you for what you're doing right now, especially at that age, because it's, it's so necessary. I'm I literally, as I'm saying this in my head, I'm like, dude, I need to be doing more of that myself. Cause I talked to a lot of men who are, who are still that child on the inside. And I've dealt with this too, where it's like, Hey, look at me. Like we're still going out into the world trying to validate as opposed to that internal self-acceptance and, and getting on the other side of that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for a long time in my personal journey, as I, as I, uh, like 12 years ago, my father ended up, my, my mother passed on. My father ended up coming out of the closet, told us he was gay. It was right when my son was born. And so like all of this life experience happened at one point for me. And it was a moment of reflection, several moments of reflection where I realized I need to, I, I could kind of just go along with the flow here, or I could really look at this dead on and, and kind of go to that darker place of like, what does it mean to be a man? What did I miss growing up from my own father? What did he miss? You know, I've had some amazing conversations with him where you talk about that empathy. I'm like, let me look at the world through his eyes. Dude, the stuff that he went through was way different. I'll use the word different <laughs> than what I went through. And it gave me perspective to go, wow, he gave so much to me that I didn't even really realize. In my head, I was only looking at it from my selfish perspective and go, you know, I mean, he did very well financially. My family's been very blessed in that respect, but he was never around. And so there was a lot of emotional need, emotional, psychological need. You know, how do you deal with uh, life? How do you deal with puberty? How do you deal with girls? How do you deal with um, struggle? How do you deal with the pain? How do you deal with failure? All of those questions I've had to sort of figure out on my own. And so for a long time, I've resented, you know, man, I really, I really, and it's still, uh, full transparency, it'll still flare up every now and like I'll catch myself in like, oh, I'm feeling sorry for myself again, you know? Um, and uh, it wasn't until I, I think that forgiveness story was so powerful when I started to empathize with him and go, man, uh, I heard somebody say to me, a mentor who's not a direct mentor, but it's a, you know, in, like a influential type of person. They said that our job as fathers is to push the football as far down the field as we can. You know, and when you realize, when you reflect and go, oh, where did my father get the football and how far down the field did he push it? That gave me perspective to go, you know, is it in the end zone? Yeah, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe I still have some awakening to realize, man, he really did whatever. But dude, he pushed it so far down the field from where he got it. And now I have so much more um, uh, gratitude for what he did, not just on the financial side of things, because he just slayed it, but for for the stuff that he didn't pass on to me and and i don't mean it wasn't the good like he didn't pass on the bad stuff a lot of the bad stuff um and now as a father myself to 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 two kids a daughter and a son it's like now it gives you a whole different perspectives as i'm sure it does to you like oh shit i hope i'm doing like i know i'm dropping the ball i hope i'm not hurting them too much like i'm doing the best i can to get the ball in the end zone but i know they're gonna deal with stuff too you know later on but that's the that's the, the circle of life a little bit you know and that, that's such a great analogy and it, it, it definitely uh gives, paints a picture in my mind 
of, yeah, you know, we're all on this field of life and we're playing in the game. Now, some people are still on the sidelines, right? The ball's on the field and they're on the sidelines. Yeah. So I would challenge, you know, you challenge me to just now just to think about that. I have the ball, right? It could be, you know, on the 10, 20 yard line, but how far am I going to push that before my time's up? How far am I going to do that? Yeah. You know, and um, that's so powerful because again, it makes you appreciate those who've gone before us to say, you know what, they did it all they could and they got to the 10 yard line. That's all right. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But how far am I going to push it? Well, and that's another, for me, it's just a humility thing is to realize, you know, I, for such a long time, I, I resented um, the lack of my father's influence in my life. But then when I, again, grow, mature, have kids of my own, I put things into perspective. I look at, man, let's just say he, he got the ball at the one yard line. Like he had issues with his dad and, you know, it made me think about, well, what about his dad? Like, what about my grandfather's dad? Where did he get the ball? You know, but, but at least from my perspective with my dad, he got the ball at the one yard line, let's say he's gotten it all the way down to like, you know, the opposing 25 yard line. Like, even though I might be closer to the goal, look at how far he brought it. It just, it gives, it just gives me a lot of, a lot of gratitude um, for, for what he's done. So I, you know, you mentioned too earlier, like for all the men that are listening to this and, and the women really, like if, if you have a lack of a father figure in your life, it's easy to look at what you miss, but maybe them not being there was actually a gift for all the crap that they dealt with. The, their influence was not negatively influencing you. Like maybe you didn't get the positive influence, but you also didn't get their negative influence too. So there was openness for you to create what you need to create in your life. You know, and that's exactly the epiphany that I had, you know, a few years back was, you know, I'm very grateful for the way that things unfolded because what if, again, that if factor, what if my dad was around and I had to live in that to my teenager, I'd probably be the same way. And so it gave me the ability to create who I wanted to be. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I had that epiphany too, that like, Oh, it's not that there's an openness there. You get to create it. You get to create it. What the page is blank. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to create? Um, Oh man, I feel like that's a good pause point, but like, I want to keep talking too. How much time do you have? Are you good on time? I'm good, man. I, I, I'm, I'm, st- I'm here. I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to rock and roll, man. I can talk okay. about this all day. It's just, it's so important. Know. You know, it goes, it's so important. you know, and that's one of the, you know, and that's, it's funny you say that because that's one of the big things when I was thinking about, you know, getting into being a, you know, influencer, leading other people. That's where the term legacy came from because it's basically handing down what you're going to give to the next person. And we can go backwards, you know, four generations and say, what were they given? And, but what am I going to give? Because it begins with me, but it won't end with me. Just like mm-hmm. it began with them, but it's not going to end with them. That's mm-hmm. legacy. What are you going to mm-hmm. give? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously more than just uh, your own kids, but society to the world, you know, right. That expands out. Yeah. So, and it's so important. So important. Um, and to me, that really is uh, the masculine gift, right? W- w- women. And obviously I'm painting with broad brushes here, but, women um, bring the gift of love and the gift of presence and feeling and aliveness and, and, but men have that ability to, to make it even better. Like where's this going now and how do we solve problems? How do we make it, you know, even better? Um, You talked about leadership a little bit before I was asking you about like, let's break it down. You said, number one, influence, number two, um, chasing congruency, which is, I love that idea. 
Um, what, what are the other building blocks we got off on a tangent? Yeah, I would say um, the third one, the most important one is just being able to grow every day, be mm-hmm. a lifelong learner, be, a, mm-hmm. be somebody who's willing to grow. And I think with that, if you put that and you put it on, put that as the umbrella underneath that is going to be being humble, knowing that you don't have it all figured out and you probably never will, but don't be that guy that has it all figured out. You know what I mean? Yes. The guy that you, the, you, you give advice to and Oh yeah, I know that. I know. Yeah. Socrates is, is often cited as, you know, one of the most brilliant people of all time. And he's, was always known for saying, uh, the only thing I know is that I don't know anything. And to, <laughs> and to me, to me, that's, that's such a perfect, um, reason for why he knew so much because he just continually kept his mind open. There's so much space in here. I don't know anything. I have all this openness. Whereas people who know it all, there's no space. I can't learn anything. I already know it all. You yeah. know what I mean? That, that, that growth mindset for sure. Yeah. You um, know, and I think, uh, I think when we do that, you know, when we actually grow, we expand our awareness, right? We expand our awareness and our capacity to go and share with other people and take, you know, and, and give those lessons that we've learned and give them to the next generation or give them to people around us, other men. Right. And I think it's our duty, our responsibility, right? You think about responsibility, it's your ability to respond. And only when you're able to grow, can you get that responsibility from that awareness and then have the responsibility to give it to the next person. Just like we're doing here, we're exchanging ideas and I can tell you that just from us talking, I have notes here that I'm just like, wow, like learning so much because when two minds get together, it's powerful. Totally. I've got a whole page of notes too, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, uh, what I issued this a little bit before, but what, what do you see as the vision for these young kids? Yeah. You know, I think for these young kids, they're hungry. They, they want to learn. They, they, they desire to be better. And they, I think the future form is really going to have to start with people like you and me and other influencers, the guys out there that are wanting to make a difference to have the courage to step up and say, you know what, I will not stand for this, but I will stand for these kids. I'll stand in that gap for these children, right? They don't have a father. They have a broken home. Guess what? I'll be the father for the fatherless. Mm-hmm. It's going to take somebody like us that are bold to say, you know what, I'm going to go out there and be vulnerable and show them it's okay for a man to struggle, to have failures and that he can be okay. Um, because the teachers aren't there. You know, for example, I, um, I was in the classroom a little early. This last class I spoke to, about 100 kids, and the teacher was in there. And I just watched her interactions with, her, with the kids. Mm-hmm. And I talked to her a little bit before the class showed up. And she's talking about how, you know, I'm single. Uh, I got a boyfriend who has kids with another wife and blah, blah, blah. Talking about the night she had last weekend. I'm like, great. You know, this is what, exactly what these kids need to hear, right? And you're sitting here, and when the kids show up, guess what? <clears throat> All proper now, right? You're putting on a front. You're not being real. You're not being congruent with who you say you are. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that chasing congruency. And when you do that, you let the kids know that it's okay to be that way. That I can come to school and I can hide my brokenness, but when I go home and I'm getting abused emotionally and physically or whatever, you know, I can hide that by who I am in public. Mm-hmm. But when somebody like me steps into the room and says, this is what I struggled with. And this is how I was as a kid. All of a sudden it gets quiet and all the attention, all eyes are on me. And one of the craziest things is, is after, after I've spoken to hundreds of kids already. And after that, the, the first thing the teacher says is that's amazing. I can't believe you kept them quiet for a whole hour. <laughs> <laughs> I said, isn't that something? I was like, what do you think it was? She said, they, they, they were very intrigued with your story. It's like, exactly. I, I got their attention. 
I, they, I, I said something that made them say, he's like me. I can trust him. Yeah. Right. Are you like me? Do you care? And can you trust me? That's what they want to know. Mm-hmm. Can you relate to me? Can you help mm-hmm. me? And can I trust you? And I think that uh, the system today, the public school system or whoever, I mean, the teachers today, they have to understand that they can't give what they don't have. And they're too busy trying to give something they don't have. Right. You, you, you wouldn't go get financial advice from somebody who's bankrupt, would you? Right. <laughs> you wouldn't go get marriage advice from somebody who's, you know, cheating on their, on their, on their spouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I think the system is flawed because we have people given to our kids that aren't li- congruent with what they're teaching. One of the most, um, I've thought a lot about purpose. So when I went through um, that transition in my life with my mom and my dad and all that kind of stuff, I really zeroed in on purpose. Do you know who Simon Sinek is? Absolutely. Yeah, he's the first guy I interviewed for this podcast. And I saw his TED talk and I'm like, dude, I that just blew my mind and it opened my mind up to origin story and and purpose and you know where I started and where I'm going and all that. So I've thought a lot about Discovering purpose, helping other people discover purpose. And to me, one of the most powerful sentences that helps people really discover that purpose is to become the person that you needed when you were a kid. Wow. And if you just marinate in that for a little bit, (laughs) realize, (laughs) right, which, which is exactly what you've done. But for the listener who's maybe seeking or searching for their own sense of purpose, if, if, you think of, if you think of everybody, this is how I sort of visualize it. If you think of everybody as these vessels, right? And in a perfect spiritual world, we're all full. We all have, from an internal place, we all have complete access to all the emotions and, and spiritual enlightenment. We're all full. But in the human experience, in this practical world that we live in, you know, we've gotten abused, we've gotten abandoned, we've gotten hurt, we've gotten beat up, right? And so that if you can visualize the tank on some people in various parts of the life have been depleted, right? So if you're looking at everybody and you're seeing various levels of fullness in their tanks, I see it as, oh, I recognize in myself that I'm, I'm empty in this part of my life. I'm going to become the person that I need to fill that up for myself, but then also for everybody else. So we all, if you look at everybody's tanks, we all have a unique experience that we can then pour back into to help fill everybody up. Does that make sense? Absolutely, man. I love that to be the person you needed as a child. That's, and I've never heard that before, but as you say it, I'm like, man, that might, I mean, that's exactly what I feel like is happening in my life right now, almost unconsciously because I didn't think kids were my niche per se. I didn't think I was going to be the speaker to children. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't think that at all. Mm-hmm. It, and it all came about from a question a kid asked, why'd you join the military? And I said, oh, here we go, right? You just pulled the Band-Aid, <laughs> you just pulled the Band-Aid off. And I happened to say why, be open and honest. And the superintendent of the whole district was in the classroom and said, wow, we want you to come speak at all of our schools in our whole, in our whole county. Oh, is that right? Wow. <laughs> wow. That's how it started. I was there speaking about nursing. Like what I do as a nurse. <laughs> wow. You talk about, yeah. uh, you talk about being pulled. I mean, <laughs> right. God, the universe, whatever was like, all right, we need to get this guy in front of some kids. <laughs> um, that's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> well, you know, actually that's a good point. As I think about it is sometimes like some of it is our own internal discovery, our own sense of purpose, our own intention and vision. But sometimes it's the environment too. Sometimes it is 
you know, uh, you turn left instead of right because of whatever. And, and now this is a new hand that you've been dealt. It's like, okay, all right, well, let's play this hand. And it seems to, obviously it seems to resonate, seems to be a need. It seems to be something that you are stepping into. And it's kind of interesting how that, cause, cause you could have never planned that, right? You could have never been. Yeah. yeah. No. That's, that's interesting. Um, well, dude, this has been, uh, an enlightening conversation to say the least. Uh, I've certainly taken tons of notes. Um, we started the call with you saying, hopefully I'll touch one person's life at the very least you've touched mine. And I'm sure <laughs> anybody who's had the uh, pleasure of listening that you've, uh, affected and, and uplifted them as well. What um, if somebody's interested to learn more about what you're doing, do you have, uh, I should know this going into the call, but do you have, uh, do you have a book or do you have a website or anything? Like where could somebody go to, to learn a little bit more about you and maybe get in touch with you if they want you to talk? Yeah, to they can look me up on Facebook, Anthony Wade. I mean, I have a, a, a page that I put up, The Legacy Factory. It's on Facebook. I can give you the, the links to those, put them in the notes. Um, yep. Thelegacyfactory.org.org. Um, that just gives you a little bit of my bio, what I'm doing, what I'm up to. You know, I'm still, just like I'm everybody sorry, probably Can I interrupt you really quick? Did you yeah. say it's the, the Legacy Factory? Yeah, the, the, yeah the, thelegacyfactory.org. Okay, got it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm still, you know, piecing it together. I'm out there just, you know, taking action, not really taking the time to stop and kind of see where, where I need to head. I'm just really cr getting started, I think, with this whole purpose and really making an impact. And I think anybody that's listening to this, you know, if you have that calling or that feeling inside of you that's pulling at you, not pushing you, but pulling, just go out and take action. Don't worry about the logistics. It'll come, right? You got to get in the trenches and take action. You can sit back and think about it all you want, but until you put paper to pen and you actually take steps forward, you can't take that next step until you take that first step. And I really believe for me, this is my first, these are the first steps for me to, you know, people have asked, are you writing a book? I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm still trying to be the man <laughs> for my family. I still got two kids and a wife and I'm still trying to be there for them. Cause that's my ultimate, you know, call. Well, you've written, and, you've, you've certainly written some chapters at the very always. least. Right. The book is always a work in progress, but uh, you could yeah. you could probably release a chapter or two and call it a book. I bet I bet a lot of people <laughs> buy into that. I would. Yeah. You know, uh, but yeah. So, I mean, you can find me on there, you know, and I'm, I'm all, I'm, I'm on all the social media and stuff. And uh, you know, I just hope that, like you said, somebody listens to this, they see this and they see somebody who's been through a struggle, been dealt a, a less than fortunate hand, but know that, you can make a change right now. Like just make that it's one decision that could change your life. Yeah. And for me, it was getting off the couch. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> uh, dude. Well, um, again, thank you for this. This is what, this has been awesome. We will definitely, um, stay in touch. Um, and, uh, I I'm, I'm speechless. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, you know, I look for I look forward to what you're doing, man. I look forward to following you and, and seeing what you're up to. You have something great here, and I think, uh, you know, you built a platform that's going to have a voice for many people. that are going to touch a lot of people, and so I, I commend you for this. I thank you for the opportunity, man. It's an honor to be here with you for sure. Thank you, dude. I, that's genuinely my intention is to 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 serve and to uplift um, as well. So it's navigating that whole thing, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Yep. All right, Anthony, take care. All right, brother.